Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses. And you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. This message brought to you by NHTSA. Mesmerizedonline.com. Send me a tweet at Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well here on this snowy Thursday. I'm not sure uh, what you're all up to, but hope everybody's uh, having a great week so far. And not, you know, I guess the snow. And the cold, it's pretty much a hot stove. I guess it's a back play for the hot stove here. Because I, I have to tell you, I've been doing some sort of radio for about 
well, what, 10 years now. And the winter meetings used to be such a fun radio, like three or four days, Twitter, especially when it's on the West Coast because things are happening overnight. You're waking up in the morning and, you know, two or three transactions have gone down. And it made for great radio at one point, live shows, you know, on blog talk radio, uh, call-ins. You could do so much. And Twitter changed that a lot as Twitter grew. Uh, but I also think the way that the game is now, the methodical way that these teams, especially with the money, where you get your splash, you get your one or two players. And this, and Brian Cashman was talking about this with Mike Francesa earlier this week. Um, this winter particularly has been very slow. and There's nothing going on out there. And I don't know if it's because of the way that the owners and the general managers are going about business because they feel that price tags are too high, so they're trying to wait them out. And I think what I talked about, I don't know if it was the last show or, or maybe earlier this off season, one of the fears you have when you do this, this kind of thing is that you spend all off season speculating. And we've done that on this show. And you get so tired of it because you want, you want moves to be made and you want to talk about those moves. And the Mets made one move this week, and we'll get to that. And, and I'm sure there's more to come. And who knows, maybe while we're we're recording this podcast. Maybe they'll make a move on a second baseman. I, I, I don't think so. But um, there were times, and it wasn't too long ago, that it was Valentine's Day, and there were still big names out on the market waiting to be signed because teams were waiting them out. And it wasn't too long ago, it was probably 2008, 2009, that you started to hear some agents and some members of the media throw out the C-word, collusion. Are they trying to break... These players, you had guys like Bobby Abreu, who was still very valuable at that time. Manny Ramirez, guys like that, still sitting around, and it's Valentine's Day, and they don't have a job. And and eventually, as spring training gets closer and closer, pitchers and catchers report the anxiety goes up. The player wants a contract. The player wants the checks to start coming in, and that's what these teams are banking on, as they hope that the player starts to look up in the fifteenth of the month. There's nothing in the bank account, so. Time to get that agent on the phone and say, hey, let's make a deal. Stop the nonsense. Let's get going. We've proved our point. I don't know if that's going to happen here. But, uh, you know, yeah, you had the Ozuna trade. You know, certainly uh, Manny Machado's name has been thrown around over the week. Uh, Otani, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, you know, there wasn't a heck of a lot that happened throughout these winter meetings. Even the rumors, it was so uh, out there. And I think that. When my big takeaway, and this is more of a Mets-centric takeaway, is how immature and insightful the media is, the, the New York media. The national media, we expect them to be immature with a lot of this stuff, but the New York media, and how poorly reported the Mets, uh, I guess, foray into free agency has been. When that's like the first thing that comes to mind when I'm prepping for a show, that that tells you how quiet it's been. And um, you know, to me, that that's just you know par for the course because instead of really just doing reporting, if they're really that upset about the payroll, ask the tough questions of Sandy Alderson, push him, don't back down from him. But instead, they they listen to Sandy, who I will tell you. Uh, you know, and I contrasted him to Brian Cashman, who I listened to on, like I said, on Francesca's show earlier this week. And I think Sandy brings a lot of his own problems to himself because 
he I, I don't know if it's a lack of respect for the media or you know he's trying to be funny because he's not really comfortable with the whole you know questioning on the spot or revealing what he's doing. You know, you could do a couple of ways. If you don't want to really talk about your strategy and talk about what you're doing, you could do a Bill Belichick and just like shut down and be a jerk or a Greg Popovich. Or you could make have fun with it or you could cliche it. You know, a lot of guys cliche it just to kind of, you know, give you something, be professional, be corporate. Or you could have fun with it, make a joke of it. And I think that's what Sandy Alderson does. And, and I don't think that's really the right way to go about it. You listen to Cashman with Francesa. He was pretty – and Francesca even said this before the interview because he's become very reflective with this being his final week. And actually, we're recording this the day before Mike Francesca's final show, so an era of radio coming to an end here in New York. He gives you an honest answer. He doesn't really give away the farm. He doesn't give away trade secrets. Uh, you know, with Otani, he said, you know, we put together what turned out to be a colossal waste of time, this – you know, pitch, and he didn't want to play east of the Mississippi. Like, you know, he was honest. They were going after Otani. He was honest that John Carlos Stanton was something they kept an eye on, but it wasn't a priority. They didn't think he'd get it done. Like, they really just, you know, he gives you an answer to what he's thinking without hurting himself in terms of the team with their negotiations, with the way they're going to market. Sandy doesn't want to. I mean, he, actually, he does a better job of that on SNY. If you heard him with with Gelbs, I thought John Rico on WOR and SNY, Mets assistant GM John Rico, did a better job of articulating what's going on out there. And um, you know, Sandy just has these jokes, and then you have the media running to Scott Boris for a quote. It's like a bunch of schoolgirls. It's like, what am I wasting my time here for? Like, I I'm trying to like ascertain how this organization is trying to build a team. I'm interested to know the movement of free agents. What are the agents talking about? What's the market? And they're running around trying to get Scott Boris to say something funny about the Marlins and the Mets and Sandy Alderson to try to make jokes about, you know, the roster. That's what this has come down to. See, to me, that's where I blame Sandy because I have a hell of a lot more respect and interest as the way Brian Cashman presents himself as bland as matter-of-fact as he may be, than Sandy Alderson, who um, you know, just annoyed me this week. And I know he annoyed a lot of you guys. And, and I have more respect because I don't think Sandy's a clown. Uh, and, 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 and I think this brought back bad memories because when the Mets were pretty much in purgatory, baseball purgatory, and not competing, not signing free agencies, uh, not signing free agents, trying to uh, develop the, the young players, uh, get out of some of the financial issues they had with the Madoff uh, scenario. You know, y- you, um, uh, you know, you could at least understand it. I never liked it, but you could at least understand it. You know, remember the old, say, what outfield, when, he had, when they were talking about the outfield? The Mets got into the World Series. And they, they did not leverage that World Series appearance, and, and they've come unprepared. Not you know necessarily that the front office has made some questionable moves, moves that may not all of them, you know, the Murphy move, uh, namely that at the time you could say there was a merit to what they were doing there. Some of that did not work out, obviously. But you know they, the real failure of the Mets over the last two years is that they've had an awful organizational philosophy on preparing injury prevention, 
and focus. The organization hasn't had a focus on the field because their manager and their pitching coach never really provided a theme and a focus. The theme and the focus is show up, protect the players, uh, whatever happens, happens, and we'll be there in the end because we're a second-half team. That's been the focus because, for, because of what happened in 2015, how they got hot in the final 10 weeks and, uh, and got hot in the playoffs. Everybody thought, well, that's a great strategy. We'll keep doing that. That's not the way it works. So to me, that's, that's the theme, at least from a Mets point of view, the winter meetings. And that's bad. That's bad when that's, that's the uh, overall takeaway. I really think Sandy Alderson, from that standpoint, I don't, I don't think anybody really understands the Mets. They certainly don't understand the Mets' finances. And to sit there and act like you do and act like you, uh, the Mets are hiding on a pile of money, uh, you clearly never read Howard Megdell's book, Will Pond's Folly. You've never followed Howard and the work that Howard has done over the years with the debt. And, you know, I, again, I'm not going to go back and recite. This is not a financial podcast. I'm not going to recite any of that right now. Uh, go back, Will Pond's Folly. Fo- you know, read, it's an older book. It's probably about six years old. Buy it. It's probably going to be on e- an e-book. It's not going to cost you that much. That'll tell you why the Mets are where they are right now and why the Mets have to be mindful of the payroll. Look, the Dodgers are mindful about payroll. I understand they've got a lot more money on that payroll, but the Dodgers weren't able to get into the John Carlos Stanton sweepstakes because they've got their debt uh, uh, ceiling. Their debt levels are out of whack. And, and anybody who reads or understands the CBA is that Major League Baseball, there's a certain amount of debt each team can have before it goes above a certain threshold in the league, then gets involved. And you can, you can lose draft picks, you can be disciplined in a variety of ways. Uh, for for having too much debt, and the Dodgers right now are falling into that. So what's the easiest way to cut debt is to cut payroll, because if the the Mets have some debt that they can't, you know, bonds on City Field, you know, debt against the team. I don't know if the SNY stuff or the debt though, the equity they took out against SNY. Uh, again, I'm not a financial guy. I'm not going to get into that. Just read again. Read Wilpon's Folly, and that will that will certainly give you all the answers to the questions. That you may have. So to sit there and act like you know and you could be angry, that's foolish. At the end of the day, we don't know what the Mets are going to spend. We know that the media and Sandy has basically said it will probably be a little lower. He's not given an exact number. A lot of times I think Sandy plays the media to keep them on there, keep them on guard or to throw people off. I don't think he likes to reveal what his plan is or what you know he's doing. So, you know, for you to say, uh, you know, to be angry or that you know, it's just foolish. And furthermore, here's another thing. He's not here to win in winter meetings or to make you happy. You know, you got to make a move. Why? Not to see a lot of moves being made. Got to make a move. Well, you got Anthony Swarzak, and that wouldn't have been the guy going into the winter meetings that I would have been into. But... He's not a bad arm, and I'm actually going to bring it up, and I'll tell you why these are the kind of players that the Mets need when you look at the scouting report. So Joel Sherman put a scouting report out on Swarzik that, you know, from a scout. He's got a 94 to 97 mile an hour fastball plus slider, uh, you know, and he has no fear, and he pitched with big guts. All the scouts that weighed in feel he has confidence. 
His success has grown over the years. He went back-to-back, showed durability, low maintenance, and competitive. You want to know something? That, to me, is the kind of player you want on this team. You want that kind of grinder. You know, not a guy that throws 100 and then, you know, glares at people, but, you know, the minute that the, the, it gets, you know, the, the, the heat gets turned up in the kitchen, he, he backs down. You know, not like a Robles. Hansel Robles is the kind of antithesis of what a Swarzak is. So do I think Swarzak's going to work out? I don't know. But it wasn't about money because Joe Smith signed with Houston. So the Mets have made a conscious decision to go with Swarzak over Joe Smith. Maybe it's because Joe Smith is more of a righty specialist. Uh, maybe because of the velocity of Swarzak or the type of pitcher he is. Maybe Swarzak turns out to be better than Addison Reed or better than Pat Neshek. Uh, you know, Steve Shesek. I mean, you guys, you know, if the Mets signed someone that the media or you guys thought was a name that was acceptable, you'd all be happy. Swarzak's not that name. He may not turn out to be that name. And certainly when you look at the resume, he's more of a risk. But you don't know. I mean, when you th- I said this on Rich Catino's show a couple of weeks ago. You throw a blanket over these relievers. They're all pretty much the same, except for maybe the top closers. And those guys like Holland and Wade Davis are even bigger risks because of the price tag that comes with them and the miles that both those guys have. Uh, you know, you're going to walk away with somebody that's pretty good. And there's plenty of pitchers that the Mets can pick up in January. You know, guys that may be good value. Do you want it to be like this? Would you like to be able to go out and and reduce the margin of error and have a $200 million payroll? Like I said earlier this week, sure. But that's not the situation. The Mets are a family-owned business. They're not a corporation. And that's not the way they're going to be able to run. That's not reality. So if you want to sit around and complain about it, that's fine. But that's not necessarily going to be productive. And it's not going to make you enjoy or understand this team more. And believe me, there's enough here. The one thing you heard all week, and I've said this a couple of times, and I'll say it again. The one thing you heard all week is that a lot of people are asking about Matt Harvey. They're asking about uh, Rafael Montero. They're asking about Gazelman. You know, the Lugo's name has come up. I'm sure anybody would be happy to get discussions about DeGrom and Syndergaard. The fact that teams are asking about the Mets' arms tells you they have something. They have something that hasn't been managed properly. I'm not saying these guys are all of a sudden you know, not going to get hurt. All of a sudden, Mickey Calloway is going to sprinkle some pixie dust. When a team is not prepared, when a team is not pushed, when there's no plan to maximize or to develop the pitchers, and I really believe at the big league level – there was no plan, and it sounds like, based on the changes they made at AAA, there might have not been one at the AAA level either. You cannot expect these young players to be at their very best. If you're going to tell me that every one of these guys is going to get hurt, and every one of them, it, w- w- there's more than one-year resume, by the way. The sample size is, is, is rather large. Not too large, but rather large. These are guys that pitched big outs, got big outs in the postseason. All of a sudden, they forgot how to pitch. Then, okay, then the Mets are a train wreck, and they're not, they're not going to win. I have a hard time believing that. I really do. Um, watch about trading those young pitchers. As far as the second base situation, and again, the, the, the Ian Kinsler situation, that falls uh, uh, exactly into what I said about the media. Everybody's, oh, the Mets tried to get him. Look at this. They can't get a deal done. Ian Kinsler wanted to go to Anaheim. And do you think that he wanted to go to Anaheim because he doesn't want to play for the Wilpons or because 
the Mets don't have enough money or the Mets aren't a good team. Maybe he doesn't like the Mets roster versus Anaheim. That's possible. Maybe he likes Anaheim because the weather's better. Maybe he's got family out there. Maybe his wife wants to be out there. Maybe he likes playing on the West Coast. Maybe he likes staying in the American League. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Ian Kinsler told and Al Avila, the Detroit GM, basically said, I only had one team to trade him to, and it was Anaheim. Mets tried to get him. Jason Kipnis, look, I don't, you know, the guy's going to be expensive. He's in, and look, if you're talking about money, Mets are going to invest $15 million in a second baseman because that's what Kipnis is going to make. Uh, Kipnis is a guy that's had injuries. We know he's, uh, again, he falls into maybe the riskier where, you know, who knows? He's had shoulder and hamstring injuries. But he's a guy that's had some good years, and he's a, a guy that showed versatility. He showed leadership by jumping in and playing center field. He's coming from a winning environment and a winning culture. That's important. Uh, that is a guy that if it's the price is right in a trade, that you, know, you could go win and, and do okay by. There's not one way to go about this. You know what the Mets' needs are. And right now, the Mets are not going to go out, and they're not going to go out and get the you know, top-level John Carlos Stanton type. They have Cespedes. That's supposed to be their power hub. They're going to go out and get very good borderline all-star to all-star players like a Bruce, like a Kipnis. And they're going to try in January to get another arm in the bullpen, and there's plenty out there. And I think you could get somebody on a good value. Jerry Blevin signed in late January. He's one of the better left-handed relievers. Just because everybody's not talking about them and just because – the media not, not talking about, about them, and just because you're not happy that your winter meetings week where you were really excited to refresh and see news, that didn't happen, that doesn't mean that there's not a good player that could be had. Nor does that mean Sandy Alderson has to adjust his plan for you. He's not going to. And if you've been following the Mets and you've been following Sandy Alderson, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are or have. You know he's methodical. He was methodical with the Beltron trade. He was methodical in dealing Ike Davis. He didn't just rush out and take the first deal for R.A. Dickey. He got a good deal. I think sometimes he's very slow. He is aggravatingly slow. And he lawyers up in interviews, and he can be very aggravating. I just talked about that. But at the end of the day, he's got his process. He's got his way of doing things. And is that part of the Mets being fiscally responsible because their margin of error on that front is not uh, the same as the three big teams, namely the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Red Sox? Yeah, but I think that's the way he is. And I think he'd be that way whether he was the general manager of the Yankees or the general manager of the New York Mets because he's a guy that's very thoughtful and wants to be right and he wants to be responsible and he wants to keep as much flexibility. And every team, every team is going to need that in this day and age with the way that payroll is going to go up, the way that the expense Relievers getting seven to ten million dollars. Middle relievers, you know, good players getting fifteen million dollars. All stars getting twenty to twenty-five. All timers or potential borderline Hall of Famers getting thirty million plus. It's going to be hard to put a roster together. And uh, you could criticize Sandy Alderson for a lot of things. I'm not trying to absolve him, but to the behavior of the fans, the whining of the fans, and the way the media covered the team this week was borderline abhorrent. Uh, you could probably hire journalism students at a high school and got a better performance. And the fact that they've now they're doing what the Knicks beat does, which is do snarky little tweets to get the fans ex- excited. 
that just tells me that they've run out of material and they really don't understand or care to understand or care to do some research to cover the team and give you some interesting, insightful content. They just want to go out and agitate you so they get some clicks. They get their chuckles in the press box, and away you go, and it's, it's all said and done. So anyway, uh, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You uh, can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We're going to take a quick break. When I return, your calls. So I threw up the, uh, the call line. I got a few calls I want to get to. I want to hear what you have to say, respond to them. And uh, I'll see if there's any mailbag. I'll go to the MetsmerizedOnline.com thread to see if the mailbag yielded anything. We'll see what you guys are into. Uh, you know, not the best winter meetings, not the most interesting winter meetings, but Anthony Swarzak, do you want to talk about him? I think he's an interesting arm. I think it's an interesting signing. Uh, Jason Kipnis, do you looking for another second baseman? You know, you know, Jay Bruce, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe Addison Reed is pricing himself out of the market, and maybe he's going to be hanging around until January. Maybe that'll, that price will come down. Who knows? We'll see what, what comes of it. So let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll get to your calls right after this. And now, reportedly, he is going to be a New York Met. Two years, $14 million. And, guys, Anthony Swarzak, let, let's start with this overall. Um, you look at, at his career, and it's been kind of an interesting one, up and down right. at various times. But last year was really that, that breakout year for him. So, Andy, when you look at his career, what was different recently and specifically last year? Yeah, well, I, you know, Sandy Alderson sat in, in that chair that John Rico was just in tonight and was, described the bullpen market as a crapshoot, accurately so. So they're trying to figure out a way to capture that lightning in a bottle right at the right upswing. And as you mentioned, Steve, they found a, tread lo- a trend line in Swarzak's career that's a pretty interesting. I'm going to geek out for a second here, but the Mets pointed me in this direction, although they can't officially say anything about Swarzak, that the, uh, he was a completely different pitcher earlier in his career. 32 years old, he's a veteran, but for five, six years it was four-seam fastball, two-seamers, you know, sinker, change-up, a little bit of a curveball his rookie year, and a slider. In 2015, when he coincidentally was under the tutelage of Mickey Calloway in Cleveland, he just became a strict fastball slider guy, which seemed to give him a little bit of an uptick in power and velocity. And they speak of him as one of those real competitive types, the guy with big, you know, we'll say guts because this is a family show. And uh, it appeared to be the repertoire and the velocity now to match his, his mentality. So they think he's reborn. They think he's going in the right direction. We're back. Talking Mets podcast, host Mike Silva here, and uh, let's get to the phone lines. Let's see what the MetsmerizedOnline.com community thinks. Uh, tried to pick out a few of the better calls that we had. Uh, you know, hopefully you enjoy this format. I know we used to do the live call-in and, you know, some of the, obviously the guys that don't know how to behave and ruin things uh, ruined it a little bit, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how this uh how this turns out. Uh, so let's go to the phone lines. Let's hear our first caller. Hi, this is Matt Frieda from Los Angeles. Just giving a call to the podcast here, leave my message. I uh, wanted to just say that I think it is a concerning issue that the likes of Ian Kinsler is not willing to waive his no-trade clause to come to the Mets. Now, I know that a no-trade clause is a bargaining tool for players and for teams, and it may not necessarily mean 
that it was specifically just the Mets. It could be given the situation with his family, uh, among many other things. But nonetheless, we're talking about a 35-year-old that might be on his last leg here, a guy that our GM supposedly highly coveted, and he was unable to even really take a shot for him, which to me is saying a lot about the franchise, the direction we're going um, as a roster standpoint as well as from the front office, and it's very concerning to me. Um, just to give you an idea of my faith in this team's ability to draw free agents or for uh, their ability to bring in any players by trade has never been lower than it has now, at least not since probably 2011. So uh hope things do turn around, but that did make a big statement to me and uh, would love to see them now pursue a Josh Harrison or potentially someone else for second base. Thanks, and let's go Mets. Thanks for the phone call. Well, you know, I think he laid everything out pretty well, tied into what I said in the open. You don't know why he turned down the Mets. Uh, It could be for a reason about the team. It could be that. I don't know. I just – and a lot of times you'll say, well, why would the Mets be on the no trade and not the Yankees? I mean, that – you know, the Yankees are a different level brand, so there is something there that you can't compare, right? You can't compare playing one for the other. They may say, look, if I'm going to go to New York, I'm going to play in a Yankees-type environment. I don't want to play for the Mets because it could be hard. It's harder. I mean, that could be something to think about. The players look like, oh, like i got to play in the shot of the Yankees. i got to get the same pressure that they get and demands of New York, but maybe not the accolades, which that just shows ignorance because if the Mets win, the town is every bit pumped and the accolades are every bit the same as the Yankees, if not better because the expectations every year are not the same. It's not going to get, and you're going to see it again, uh, especially if they get Manny Machado. I don't think they will, but if they get Manny Machado, you're basically going to get back to the 2004 Yankees, where if you don't win the World Series, the, the season's a huge disappointment. There's no joy anymore. Well, the joy you saw this year, you know that, that innocent climb is gone. So I understand your frustration. You bring up some points. Does this mean that, the Mets' inability to close a deal for Ian Kinsler uh, means you, that Sandy Alderson can't. They prioritize him. They like, they, they, look, if I had to take a guess, they liked his defense. They saw the bat, and there's a lot of uh, advanced metrics that shows that even though he had a down year, uh, there was some metrics that showed that maybe it wasn't all as bad as you think with the hard hit rate and you know sometimes the batting average on balls in play and things like that can show you that you know sometimes it's not – it's not just the outcome, it's the, the process. And the, if the process is still solid at his age and he's healthy, you expect him to return to in the norm. To, with that said, I, if the Mets got Jason Kipnis or even re-signed Neil Walker, does that mean they are downgrade? I think, they're all, again, some, a lot of these free agents are in a very similar type of category. It's not like you're going from Joe Morgan down. You're not. I mean, once the big guys and Ozuna got traded and Stanton, and I know that the Mets are, are not really talking about Machado, is there really a difference? I mean, there's, there's been arguments. Is there a difference between Jay Bruce and Logan Morrison? I think Jay Bruce is better, but Logan Morrison has had a decent career. I mean, you could make an argument that he's not that much different. It's about the right fit, the person, obviously finances. 
those all come into play. This is not a fantasy team. You're not just slotting people in. That's how you get into trouble, and that's how you get bad teams and bad clubhouses. And what they're trying to build is a good team, good clubhouse. One of the things about 2015, I thought that was a good clubhouse. That was a good group of guys. I thought they had some solid leaders, and they were grinders, and they lost a lot of that. And some of the guys on that team, when they hit adversity over the last couple of years, have shown their true colors, and they've shown their immaturity. So to me, you know, Josh Harrison, I see him more as kind of a utility guy, not a guy that's going to play, you know, every day. I know he did with Pittsburgh. I think Kipnis is, is, is better than Josh Harrison. Um, you know, we'll see where the Mets go. I think that, you know, they certainly, at least according to Mark Carrig of Newsday, they don't want to give up uh, too much talent i.e. those young arms, those young controllable arms, like the Gazellemans, the Monteros, things like that. It's less about money, he said, when it comes to second base. So that's interesting. So thanks for the call. Good stuff. Uh, interesting take, and it kind of ties into what I talked about in the open. Mike, my name is Mike, too, and I'm a big fan of your show and a huge Mets fan since 1962. Uh I just wonder what your feelings are. You know, here are so many descriptions of uh, the characteristics of a manager have to be handling the media and, uh, you know, kind of covering for their players. I don't see Sandy Alderson as a general manager doing any of that. He doesn't uh, promote the the team. He, He knocks the players. I feel that he's joking around half the time that he's talking to the media. And the fan base is uh, restless. Uh, we don't see any productivities, any any activity at all in the, in the, in the recruits that we care about. Um, so the team is totally rudderless and, and seemingly, uh, you know, bereft of any direction that comes from the top. I think Mickey Calloway is great. But unless he can start playing second base and a couple of uh, innings of relief pitching, I think the Mets are going nowhere. So just wanted to say happy holidays, but uh, I think Sandy Olsen should go. Bye. Well, Mike, thank you for the call and great name, too. Appreciate the kind words and happy holidays to you. And. I, You know, it's funny. You guys must be listening to the Open, and it's I'm, I'm recording this, so you couldn't, but... I said the one criticism I have of Sandy Alderson, I really believe in presence and the way that you handle the media and the way that you put yourself out to the media. And I really like how Brian Cash – I think the, the going, the sliding down the, the building is kind of weird. But I really like how he handles interviews, especially with Francesa. Uh, very direct, very uh, calm, cool, very matter-of-fact in some ways. I don't think he's BSing you. I don't think he's giving anything away. And I think Sandy Olison kind of uses it as a little bit to his entertainment. And, and, and one day, do yourself a favor. Read the Twitter feed. You know, maybe sometimes the media, the beat writers, they'll do like a little like, you know, phone recording or something along those lines. Then watch him on SNY. Now, I understand that's the Mets network with, with, with the Gelbs. Or listen to him with Francesa. Kind of have to command that respect from Sandy. I don't know if the beat writers do, and he hears about it. He hears the complaints. He sees like – you don't think he sees or knows? Not that he's following it. You don't think someone tells him about what a Mike Puma, the dopey jokes that he's making on Twitter? I mean 
not that Mike Puma cares and not that he wants to, you know, has to come on the show. Why would I bring a Mike Puma on this show, the New York Post? With the kind of like, I mean, he doesn't give me anything on Twitter. He makes a, he just makes, you know, he's trying to be like the funniest guy on Twitter about the Mets payroll. You know, one of those throwing Turk Wendell. I don't need that. I don't need that. You know, I, you know, at this point, if that's the kind of coverage that the team is going to get, then I might as well get, you know, really interesting bloggers. I thought Steve, uh, Joe Casal, our media consultant that came on on Sunday, when we were talking about baseball and the payroll and the CB, I thought he was great. You're not going to see him on the New York Post website. We don't need those guys. This, this, this show is always about, you know, hardcore content, you know, really entertaining. Not, you know, I'm not really the funniest guy in the world. You know, I'm not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to give out crowns and stuff like that or, or, or talk about like social media stuff or, you know, pop culture stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we have some fun here and we have some interesting discussion and dialogue. And, and I didn't see that. So uh, I agree with you at times. I understand your frustration with Sandy. I think Sandy's a smart exec. Uh, I think he's a little stubborn and he's methodical. I think they've made some mistakes, and, and he's not the one necess- I mean, signing off on things, but he's the one in the, uh, you know, at some point in the draft room, you know, that approved the decisions they made with draft picks. And, and right now, their system being barren, as he said, or not being up to snuff, that's on him. And that's why player development is so important. And that was one of the things that was talked about during the World Series when the Mets made that run. And Omar and I are walking around taking bows, saying, hey, DeGrom's my guy. Matt Harvey's my guy. Ari Dickey, by the way, who you traded for Noah Syndergaard, I signed him. You know, there's a little bit of luck in that, but luck is also the product of design. I always said if Omar was a scout or a talent evaluator and in front office, he was great. He wasn't a guy that was a leader. He couldn't lead an organization. He couldn't articulate. He couldn't do what Sandy Alderson is, which is put a plan together Plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, execute it, and keep everybody on focus and on the same direction. And that's why he lost his job. So understand your frustration. I don't disagree with you, but I don't necessarily think the Sandy Alderson you see with the media is the Sandy Alderson that's running the Mets. And, and, and don't believe that because you know, the Mets aren't being run by a guy that's sitting around trashing his own players. Uh, hey, Mike, this is Andrew here in Jacksonville. Uh, the question I have for you, is this why is it that no one and absolute i mean absolutely no one is covering the financial aspect of the New York Mets why is it that they have to make two payments of 45 million dollars each in 2017 in 2016 they have to cut over 30 million dollars in salary past year and yet they are still in the hole um the Mets again i'm not going to get into the finances. I said, I'll say this to you. Uh, they have some money that was deferred uh, for the Madoff situation. Uh, they have a bond against City Field. Uh, you know, obviously they've, they've, because of their revenues and because they're not really putting a lot of their own money into uh, operating the team, there's only so much they can, they can do in terms of cash flow to invest in the team, hence why the payroll has to go down. Steve Phillips said it best. I told, I said this again. I'm repeating myself, and maybe if you listen to the podcast on Sunday, you say to yourself, Mike, what, you know, what the hell are you doing? You're giving me the same podcast again. Oh, kind of nothing really much has happened, but you know, uh, you want to talk about Andy Swarzik for an hour? Fred Wilpon's philosophy has been 
break even and win. You know, do as much as you can with breaking even. But I'm not going to go into the hawk to win. Nelson Doubleday was like, we'll spend money to make money, and he was willing to go kind of past the red line, so to speak, and go out there, and uh, and, and that's where you get a Piazza. That's where you had, unfortunately, the worst team money can buy when they went out and signed Buddy and Murray and all that stuff and things like that. So you have an owner, the owner that wound up getting the team and having the full uh, own ownership of Fred Wilpon that you know is just about breaking even there. But he doesn't want to go into his own, and I don't blame him. Like, you know, listen, this is one business asset. They're in real estate. Now, they shouldn't have to go broke to give everybody a championship team. You'd like them to run their finances better, and they've made mistakes that I'm sure they would admit if you had them in a private room. I'm sure that the, the Wilpons are not, you know, if they had a chance to go back and, and not meet Bernie Madoff, I'm sure they would. But some of the things that are happening now are mistakes that are being paid for from years ago. From years ago, and uh, you know, to sit there and dwell on it, I mean, it just doesn't make that much sense. So, read Wilpon's Folly. That's going to tell you a lot and explain a lot. And I really recommend it. And it's been a long time since we had Howard on the show. He does uh, he covers women's sports now. He's he's moved on to bigger bigger things in his career. And uh, you know, maybe we'll get him back on at some point. But um, you know, that right now, to me, that uh, you know, that that that'll explain everything pretty pretty well. All right, uh, let's go uh, one more phone call, then we'll take a break, and maybe I'll go and see if we can grab the mailbag. You know, not a lot of positivity from the fan base. Surprise, surprise. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Hey, guys, it's Josh Heinbinder from Jenny Match Report calling in, just leaving a, a message on your podcast. Um, I have an idea just in terms of what the Mets could potentially do this offseason. I was thinking Javier Baez. Theo Epstein did say um, you got to give up Major League Town to get Major League Town. I was just thinking, obviously, it would cost a good amount, but if you could – potentially do a deal around Steven Matz and, you know, give a, give some pitching to the Cubs and, and we get Baez in return. I just want to get your thoughts on that. I'm not sure if it's possible. Also, Whit Merrifield, I thought would be a good addition as well. Um, thanks for taking the call, guys. Uh, have a great night. That's a great call. Um, I don't know if I – listen, I wouldn't trade Steven Matz for Javier Baez. I wouldn't trade the pitching. And I'll tell you why. But that's a very creative, interesting. Now you're thinking. Now, now you're not just complaining. Now you're thinking. Here's my issues with Javier Baez. Great defender, versatile, could play multiple positions. Doesn't walk a lot, has power, strikes out a ton. Guys that strike out at that rate, to me, just are always going to be issues offensively, even if they hit 40 home runs. That's why eventually I think Aaron Judge is going to regress and, and is not going to be the player that he was this year. Uh, I would not give up Steven Matz. Steven Matz is lefty. I think Steven Matz, the injury he had is correctable. I know he's had other injuries. I'd like to see, look, and, it, and the caller said it earlier about Mickey Calloway. He likes Mickey Calloway, but obviously Mickey Calloway can't pitch. He can't come out of the bullpen anymore. Not at this point in his career. One point he can. Not that I think Mickey Calloway would have excited you when he was a player. Uh, he can't play second base, yada, yada. Let's see what Mickey Calloway and Dave Island, who, you know, respected pitching coaches, that you know, even John Ricco talked about it on WOR with Pete McCarthy and Sal Agata, respected pitching coaches. Let's see what they could do with these guys. You think that these two guys are going to come in and say keep Matt Harvey because they, they, they don't have any – to the point of Ricco said, they have no connection to Matt Harvey, none whatsoever, zero. So if, if they thought there was a better option, you know, they, could, they could have not asked, told them that this guy's lost. We, we watch video. 
non-tender him, use the five, six million bucks to bring in someone else. They didn't say that. They said keep him around. Obviously, it's not just their decision. The ownership group is going to be on that as well. But you think Matt Harvey going into his walk year, you think he just wants to shrill up and die and have his career go to hell at a handbag? Of course not. So before you start trading, and here's the warning I'd give you, before you start trading the young pitchers, realize if there's a demand for them, and if you could get a Javier Baez, you got to wonder, you know, what is Theo Epstein giving me? Is he, is, he, is he swindling me here a little bit? That's a very fair trade. Uh, it's certainly one that it's not an, an, uh, an easy one to say yes or no. I'm all about the pitching. At the end of the day, what won the championship for the Astros? It was good pitching. And good pitching will stop a good offense. And the Mets still have guys, four guys, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Matt, and Harvey, that in a big postseason or big game can keep you in the game, keep the team to two or three runs, hand the ball over to what seems to be a better bullpen, and uh, allow you to potentially compete and win in advance. And that's what, you know, that's ultimately, if you get in the playoffs, what it's about. That's how the Mets won in 2015. You know, they had pitchers that kept them in the games, were stingy with the, uh, the, other, t- the other team, and they got just enough runs. And everyone's going to tell you you need to hit a billion home runs. You don't. Yeah, there was some games in the playoffs that you saw a lot of runs scored and home runs and everything. It's about pitching and defense. That's what wins. And I think the Mets are trying to balance their roster out a little bit, trying to balance their team out. And there is stuff here. If people are asking about the Mets players, there's something here. They're not asking for the Mets players to help the Mets because they feel sorry for them. They think there's something there. Maybe the Mets haven't tapped into it yet. So... Good stuff. Interesting calls. Uh, I would like to have gotten more calls. I would have liked to maybe spend a little bit of time, but you know, obviously we're getting short here on time. I try to keep these things tight. These uh, these uh, these podcasts. So those, you know, I tried to, to. These are the calls. You know, we'll we'll do it again. These are the calls we decided to run with. So let's take a quick break. When I come back, I want to go to the mailbag. I believe you had some, a couple of maybe comments in the thread for this at metsmorizedonline.com. Let's go to the mailbag. And then we'll wrap up. We'll do some programming notes, and uh, away we go. We'll be right back, and we'll wrap up right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final segment, and was going through the comment section. I was trying to get, like, the mailbag questions. Uh, here was an interesting question, and this is from compared to what question mark over at MetsmorizedOnline.com. And uh, it really tells me a lot. You guys are really in a bad place as, as, a, as a fan base. But 
Juris Familia will be a free agent in 2019. Given the many teams chasing quality bullpen arms and given the likelihood that we won't be in a postseason hunt next year, why not dangle Familia in pursuit of a position player need at second base, third base, or outfield? Uh, first of all, I don't agree that the Mets will not be in a playoff position hunt next year. I think if these pitchers come back, I mean, think about how many teams would love to have DeGrom and Syndergaard at the top of their rotation. The Yankees would like that. I think the Yankees would trade. I bet you the Yankees would trade their top two for the Mets' top two. I bet you they would do that. I mean, a Yankee fan will tell you no, but I bet you they'd do that. So, I mean, look, you can trade familiar during the season. The Mets will do that. If the Mets are out of it again, if this is not going to work out, if they have injuries, A.J. Ramos, Familia, they're all, you know, Harvey, uh, these guys will be on the block. The Mets will dump. They'll bring in more uh, arms or whatever they could get for him. And they'll re- and, and will they rebuild? You know, that, that might, if they have another bad year, then you might have to start thinking about rebuilding because then a lot of things went wrong because I don't think he could fix then things. This team reasonably healthy, managed properly with the right smart moves, can compete for a postseason spot. I didn't say they win the division. I didn't say they win the championship. They compete for a postseason spot, and you're in the postseason. That's not where you should have your hopes. You should always compete. You should always put a team together to win a division and to win the most games and to be the best team in the league, but you compete, you get into playoffs, and you don't know what happens. You know, you get into a short series, then and then it all changes. It's the second season. So, you know, to me, that's uh, that's that's the way you go. So my answer to you is no, I would not trade Jerry's Familia. Uh, you know, going through the comments section, uh, you know, here's from Manhattan Mets fans. Uh, the Mets will be competitive in 2018 if the rotation remembers who they are. We get a solid second baseman, and Smith and Rosario live up to expectations. If those things don't happen, having prime age McCutcheon won't make a difference because a lot of people are talking about you know trying to get McCutcheon now. Except they had a few wins to a team that missed the playoffs, not trading any of the young guys for a couple of Ws. Uh, I would look into McCutcheon. I don't know how uh, the Mets, you know, the, some of the Mets players that will like this is Buki and guys like that, they're probably a couple of years away from being legit prospects that get on people's radars. Just because right now, you know, the the, the baseball prospect uh, gurus all say the Mets don't have, and even Sandy Alderson said they don't have the best prospects, that changes quick. A couple of guys have some good years this year. All of a sudden, things change pretty quick. So it'll be interesting. You know, you really guys didn't leave too many mailbags. I'm going through this, and uh, you know, a lot of complaining about Sandy Alderson. So, I know again, um, I wrap up by saying this: I understand your frustration. I still think there's a lot of moves to be made. I think at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets walk away with a second baseman like Kipnis, Swarzak, of course, maybe another reliever that whose price tag falls in January or late January, and Jay Bruce. I think they could. If they bring in Kipnis, can they do Kipnis and Jay Bruce? I don't know. I don't know if they could add that much payroll. They may have to trade a salary, You know, maybe a Juan Lagares or something like that. I don't know. I, I do think this is what I will say, and I'll wrap up with this point, that the Mets had $155 or so million dollar payroll last year. They've shown the inclination the last two seasons – Last three seasons, so around there, to add payroll if it's the right situation. They did it with Cespedes. 
Uh, they did it when they brought in Jay Bruce in 2016 for the, the, the stretched run. They would have done it last year if they were in the race late in the year. They wound up dumping the salary. And uh, to me, uh, that's probably not the way you want them to run the team. That's probably not the way that, uh, you, know, the, you know, you want to root for the Dodgers. You want to have the Dodger payroll. And it's far more complicated than that. Like I said, read a little bit of history. Read up about the Mets and how they got here in a book, Will Ponce Folly. I don't have any money for this. I'm just telling you. Howard did a tremendous amount of research back in 2010 and 2011. And that'll tell you why they're here. And now they're suffering for it. And, yes, you as a fan is suffering along with them. But that does not mean that they can't put together a smart roster. And that doesn't mean that they're sitting around uh, twiddling their thumbs not trying to improve the team because that's just not right. That's just not that's that's not that's not what's going on. And I'm not defending them. I'm not trying to be a Wilpon apologist. I'm just telling you facts and what the truth is. And I'm saying you can win with this roster and with the payroll they have and with the kind of uh uh scenario in front of them. It's not easy. The margin of error isn't the same as some of the other teams that could uh, you know spend over those margins of errors. But you can win, and all hope is not lost. This is not a rebuilding situation. This is not a situation where you should even be talking about dumping players because you're not making the playoffs. Sit back. I know the offseason is not moving as fast as you would like, but I suspect you're going to see some moves, and I don't be surprised if you see some moves as we get closer to the holidays. With that said, to wrap up, um, so you know, Christmas and New Year are on the weekends. We usually do the show on Sundays. I will not be doing shows over the holidays. Uh, will I do a show Sunday? Probably depends if anything happens between now and then. I will try to reach out to some of my guests and contacts, see what you know, some of the things going on, and maybe see if it's a, a, a spot that makes sense and gives you something different. Unfortunately, other than a, a middle reliever, today's show took on a similar theme to Sunday's show, which I didn't want to do. Uh, but in, anyway, I thought it was interesting and fun, and I, I really thought the theme of talking about uh, Sandy Alderson and what I thought was some of his shortcomings with the way he presented the message and the media and getting a little bit into your call and stuff. At least it gave you something to chew on in what has been a very slow off-season hot stove. So, you know, stay tuned. Keep going to MetsamorizedOnline.com for the latest. Uh, follow me at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. I'll give you updates about the show, the podcast. Uh, so for right now, I don't know when the next show will be. Uh, I think we'll definitely have another show before the year is out for sure, unless things continue to stay cold. But stay tuned and keep going to the appropriate places to get the updates that you need. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank our friends over at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Of course, like I said, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. And you can check me out on Twitter at MikeSilverMedia. Hope everybody has a great rest of the week great thursday night stay warm if you're in new york with all the snow be well i'm your host mike silva i will see you soon take care
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.